Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Asian Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Meghla Bhardwaj. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about a very important topic. We're going to be talking about how you can vet China sourcing agents and China suppliers when you source from China. And to talk about this, I have with me Sophie Mao, who's the directing partner of Chai Bridge Law Firm, and she's based in Guangzhou. Hi, Sophie. How are you doing today? Uh, fine. Uh, we work from home every day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a little boring, but uh, still, it's not bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's going on uh, in the world is just so scary. Um, you know, everywhere the number of COVID-19 cases are increasing. But yeah, it's good. At least we can work from home and, you know, we can continue with our with our businesses. So, um, Sophie, I'm quite interested in, uh, you know, you sharing um, some advice and tips from people on how they can source safely from China. And you and I have been talking about this for quite a few months and you were actually supposed to speak at Global Sources Summit in April, but of course that is canceled now. And uh, you have been sharing, you know, quite a lot of articles in the Facebook group that we have. And uh, you also have your own blog. And in fact, I have known you for, I don't know, more than maybe 10 years now because you used to work with Mike Bellamy previously. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, recently there were some cases where um, a couple of importers were cheated by this one person and uh, we gradually found out that there were quite a few people who were cheated. And so I thought, you know, maybe this is a good time to get you on the podcast and um, talk to you about how people can prevent this from happening. So before we start talking about the topic, uh, Sophie, do you want to tell us about yourself, your background, and how do you help importers? Okay, uh, my pleasure. Actually, uh, as you may see, I, uh, I'm admitted to the Bar Association of uh, China, in 1997 mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, recently I, I have noticed that there is an increasing demand for legal service in China for especially for foreigners maybe for foreign investor or for foreign buyers uh, because I think the main reason uh, the main concern for overseas businessmen is the language the language is a big problem because people don't know uh, what the law is about and uh, and even they don't know how to check the identity of a legitimate business owner and actually that's in my opinion that's part of the reason why so many people get cheated mm-hmm. yeah and uh, so yeah so that's what uh, uh, we mainly doing now to advise how to source safely in China or how to uh, doing business in China. That's our main business now. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So tell us like, how can people uh, vet sourcing agents, um, you know, or individuals that they find on Alibaba, for example, or, you know, in, in Facebook groups nowadays, there are a lot of um, people who claim to be experts and they do very long posts about how to source from China. And then, 
you know, they give the impression of being very um, professional and knowledgeable, but, you know, we really don't know what their background is. Are they just like some individuals sitting in their basement with, you know, no experience or are they really legitimate companies or are they just out there to cheat people? So what should people do to um, vet such companies? individuals and companies, you know, before they place orders. So we're specifically talking about sourcing agents now. Okay. Uh, actually, you know, uh, there are some trade company, they are doing sourcing agent service, right? Yeah. And also, as far as I know, there are a lot of people, they do like Soho, you know, work from home right. as a sourcing agent. Yeah. Uh, and actually they are individuals, they don't have a company. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, a company or individual is not the point to tell if this uh, business, if their business is legitimate. Right. Yeah, because, you know, uh, people, uh, uh, it's very easy to set up a company today. So still, people can set up a company particularly to cheat money. So it doesn't matter, you know, uh, what kind of uh, entity they are. But uh, the point is you have to check, double check, whatever they claim them, themselves to be. Mm-hmm. You know, if And also, I know there are some individuals they are they working independently, but they will use someone's company name mm-hmm. to to you know to get business. But it's very hard to tell, you know. So I I I I think if you want to source in China, you really have to do some homework. Yeah. Um, not uh, not to buy whatever people telling you, but you have to do some homework yourself. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's the, the main purpose for us to start our blog, our legal blog, okay. just to tell people the ABC about doing business in China. Mm. So what are some of the specific things that people can check about a company? So like previously you were mentioning um, a lot of the information where we can, you know, cross check things is actually in Chinese, right? Like the yeah. databases or the government, um, um, you know, registration certificates, for example, all of those are in Chinese. So let's say yeah. I do have maybe an employee in China or, I do have somebody who can read and speak Chinese. What are some of the things that I can cross-check about a company? Uh, if they have some Chinese assistant, mm-hmm. I think it's better to uh, have the employees to do the double check. Okay. But still, that requires some basic legal uh, knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like uh, how to check the government? Maybe, maybe you can you know ask them for some basic information firstly, and ask them to show you um, the copy of their business license. Okay. Yeah, and then 
you can ask your Chinese assistant to check in the government database or some APP. There, there are some APP, it's uh, free or it's paid. Uh, it's up to what, are, what kind of information you are looking for, you know. But uh, for the basic information, you can just get online free and then you can check the information to match whatever information they originally provide you. Right. So maybe you can see something, you know, uh, see the uh, red flag. Yeah, maybe the something is not uh, consistent with what yeah. they are telling you. Um, and what else should we look for? Uh, for example, should we look for how um, how old the company is? You know, if it's a very newly established company, then maybe that's sort of a red flag. But if it is... Um, you know, a, a well-established company that's, you know, been doing business for five, 10 years, that's maybe, you know, a plus one for them. What are some of the other things that we can check, um, you know, while looking into the company profile and the company information? Well, uh, actually in the business license or in their, uh, in the government database, they will show the business scope of this company. Okay. So you can tell what kind of company it is, like it is a factory or it is just a trade company. Mm. Yeah, so I think for trade company, you know, it's very easy to set up a trade company. And there, uh, actually they, maybe they don't have, have no any assets at all, mm. right? But for factory, they have to buy a lot of equipment, you know, to, uh, to high employ, uh, to high works. So I think maybe you, it's better for people to cooperate with the factory. And uh, also the factory, they, they could, uh, I think they will be responsible for the quality. However, the treat market, uh, treat the, the treat company maybe it's hard to ask them to be responsible for the bad quality or maybe later delivery such things you know because they are middlemen right right yeah the factory of course has more control over everything um also you also mentioned that sometimes these agents register companies in hong kong and that is very difficult to um, you know, to, to really track and to ascertain that it's a legitimate company? Uh, yeah, uh, what I mean is, is not like uh, you can do nothing, but uh, the situation is the, what, whatever you can do is too limited. Mm -hmm. Actually, I mean, uh, to set up a Hong Kong company to do business is very common. I'm, I'm not saying, uh, oh, uh, you cannot make deal with Hong Kong company because uh, I think it's for the purpose for free remove of the fund. Um, yeah. Many uh, Chinese uh, factory, especially like uh, the factory in Guangdong province, it's very convenient for them to set yeah. up a Hong Kong company, right? So they can get the payment and they can pay 
maybe for their uh, raw material very convenient. Mm. So it's just for the purpose for convenience. However, there's some Hong Kong company, it's particularly set up to cheat money. That's something we have to be careful. Because, you know, according to uh, the company law, uh, the shareholder, they are not supposed to be responsible for whatever the company do, did, right? Mm -hmm. So they will say, oh, I get your money, I, but I failed to deliver the products. You can sue my company, but you cannot, uh, you know, run after the shareholder, you know, mm -hmm. right? But I mean, uh, if you are dealing with a mainland company, the situation will be a little different mm -hmm. because if you win the case and uh, even the company, they refuse to pay uh, you any compensation, the shareholder or the legal representative will be put in the blacklist. And yeah, there is a little, uh, some restriction for their movement. Like they cannot uh, take, take the plane to fly. And even for high speed train. Mm. Yeah, so, so they don't want to get into such trouble. Okay. Yeah, so I, I, what I mean is it's better to deal with the mainland company. Mm. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And um, so what, what can a buyer do? Let's say they have been cheated. They, they made a payment to a sourcing agent and now the sourcing agent has stopped replying to their emails and you know, stopped replying to their messages. What are the options for a buyer in such a situation? Uh, well, uh, maybe we can help them to uh, try to find the real identity behind the fraud. But uh, I mean, if they plan to cheat your money, maybe they probably will hide their real identity, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really not easy. Right. So I guess this is another thing that people should do before they place an order with somebody like this, maybe ask for their, you know, their government ID as well, or some type of document that can actually confirm their personal identity. Do you think that's advisable? Yeah. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people, they are trying, they are finding uh, they are finding the suppliers online today, right? Yeah. Because it's very convenient. But you cannot just stop on the online information. Because the, like, uh, the, uh, the expansion uh, in, the, in any e-commerce platform, like Alibaba or Global Source, it's... Uh, or English, and right. they actually can call whatever they want to call themselves in mm. English name. And maybe you, maybe you meet with them in some treat you, 
and in their store, uh, they will deliver you their like a business card. But uh, all this information are in Chinese, uh, in English, because they are trade oriented company, right? So they will provide uh, all information in English. It's it's okay, but I mean, but this is actually the official identity or whatever they are. So if you trying to buy from them, still you have to ask them to provide you a copy of business license. Okay. Yeah, that's, but I mean, people, sometimes they just forget it. They take whatever they are told, you know, like if they see their website, they will see the websites. The website was, was beautiful, you know, but everything could be a liar. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing that um, we often tell people is that you should trust but verify, right? That's very yeah. important. You trust everything you see and all the information, but at the same time, you should verify um, anything that the supplier tells you or the sourcing agent tells you via you know, a third-party database or by other means. So let's talk a little bit about contracts. You know, when we are sourcing from China, um, a lot of buyers, they will sign contracts with their suppliers like NDA agreements, NNN agreements. So first of all, do these contracts have to be in Chinese or can they be only in English or should they be bilingual? Like what is the preferred language of these contracts? Okay, uh, I know uh, there are some buyers, they feel more confident if the contract is in English because in this way, they will know what, whatever in the contract. And actually, there, uh, according to the China law, uh, as long as the both parties sign the agreement, it's valid. It don't have to be in English. However, in, if something goes wrong, if you have to go to the court, the only language could be used is Chinese. Mm, okay. It means, yeah, it means the, if you use a English contract, you have to have someone to translate it. And maybe there's something goes wrong and yeah. you cannot control it, right? Yeah. So in my opinion, the best way is, you know, to hire a, a local lawyer, I mean, a, a Chinese lawyer to prepare a bilingual contract for you and uh, to specify if uh, there's any conflict between these two versions, the mm -hmm. Chinese will prevail. Okay. Because this contract is prepared by your lawyer. So you, you can trust this Chinese one, even though you don't know what it says. It's for your benefit. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So I think it's better. Yeah. So how seriously do you think Chinese suppliers take these contracts? Like, um, do they, you know, are they very particular about following all of the agreements in the contract, you know, especially when it comes to 
IP protection, for example, or you know other things like um, you know delivery times and things like that. How particular are Chinese companies, um, you know, following these uh, the contract guidelines? Well, it's an interesting question. Actually, you know, uh, I recently pre uh, prepare a bilingual contract for my clients. And uh, then the clients uh, approach me said, oh, my, the, the Chinese factory, they, they don't want to sign this agreement because it's very strict, you know. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it specifies the damages for later delivery for the bad quality. Mm. So I told him, if they don't want to sign the agreement, it means they actually don't want to be responsible for whatever they do wrong. Mm. So I mean, maybe you have to find another suppliers. Mm. Because even they don't want to you know, sign the agreement, how can you account on them you know, to, to follow the agreement in the future? Yeah. But I mean, this actually, this is a question about, uh, you know, the price. If you get a very low price and in the same time, you expect the factory to, you know, to follow the contract. I, I think it's very difficult. Mm. Because the factory send, send <laughs> I'm nearly, you know, no profit. Yeah. So I don't want to pay any damages, even something goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, it's uh, it's uh, something between the quality and uh, price. You have to choose what's the best uh, option for you. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because sometimes we just go for the lower price. You know, we think that, oh, this factory is offering a 10 or 15% lower price than the other one. It's better for us, but uh, we don't realize that um, in China or in fact, anywhere else that you source from, you actually get what you pay for. If you pay yeah. a lower price, you'll get a lower quality product and vice versa. So that's a very good point that you make. Uh, you know, be aware of factories that are offering extremely low prices and, um, you know, maybe there's something um, not right about that company. So when it comes to IP infringement, um, you know, what can some people, what can importers do to protect their IP when they are manufacturing in China? Oh, uh, well, I think this is something, maybe some, some uh, overseas business owners, they, they are not unaware. Mm -hmm. uh, about uh, because they think oh I already have IP registered in my country uh, and uh, it will be protected anywhere but uh, actually it's not true any protection uh, upon the IP right is based on if you have uh, registered this IP right in China like uh, the trademark and uh, the patents. You have firstly to register it in China, then you can claim protection 
maybe it's criminal or maybe it's uh, a civil procedure or maybe you can ask uh, the customs to stop uh, the products leaving China. Mm-hmm. But firstly, you have to register it. And uh, actually, we uh, have done a lot of job to help our clients to register the IP in China. And then we help them to file with the customs. Because, you know, sometimes it's actually, it's very difficult to, for you to find the uh, factory, they produce the counterfeit and the stop them, right? It costs a lot of money. But one thing is, uh, you know, you just uh, spend a little bit money to, uh, reach, to file with the customs. And actually, um, the file with the customs is um, free of charge of government fee. Okay. Yeah, it's a very cost-effective way. Mm. So at least you can uh, s- stop this, all this uh, counterfeit leaving China. Okay. So they will not compete with you. Yeah. So that's a good point. So I guess if anybody has a unique product that they have developed or they have IP, then it makes sense for them to uh, register that patent in China and of course in the country that they are selling in. So what is the process of registering a patent in China and is it, you know, fairly easy to do? Uh, What are, what is the cost approximately? Can you tell us a little bit uh, about the process? Oh, uh, well, for the trademark, I think it's the maybe most convenient to do because it's, ob- uh, it's very obviously if yeah. someone uses your trademark, right? Mm. But for patent, uh, maybe it needs some expert opinion about if it infringes your patent okay so yeah i think everyone uh, even they are buying from china i mean even they don't want to sell their products in china but uh, they want to manufacture their products in china and sell it in overseas market still they have to register trademark because sometimes it's actually it's very common like uh, oh today you, you, you manufacture these products in, in like uh, this company and uh, someday you are unhappy with them mm-hmm. and because, because maybe of the price or maybe the bad quality, you want to move your manufacturing and then you find your supplier have already registered your trademark. Oh. Yeah, so... Either you stay with them, uh, otherwise you have to buy it back with a very high price mm. because you can do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> or you, you file a lawsuit to, mm. like, uh, to, to get this treatment back. But mm-hmm. I mean, it takes time, really. Mm. Maybe two or three years minimum. Okay. So the best thing to do is, um, first of all, file a trademark, right? Uh, I mean, register yeah. your trademark in China. 
And yeah. at least that will eliminate any counterfeit um, products, you know, under your own brand. There may be instances where the supplier may copy your product and use their own brand name, right, on the product. So, um, you know, a, a trademark registration doesn't prevent that, right? Uh, of course, uh, prevents that. I mean, once you register your trademark in China, you mm -hmm. can ask for protection. Maybe the local AIC, you know, uh, the administration of uh, industry and commerce. Okay. Or maybe you can file a lawsuit against them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe criminal office if the amount involved is big, is huge. They can send them, you can send them into prison. Okay. So, so this is for trademarks. Let's say my trademark is, um, you know, just as an example, let's say it is Nike. So if I register Nike in uh, China, that means no other company, of course, can use that, uh, the word Nike. But what if they um, use their own brand name, but just copy my product, you know, because I haven't patented the product oh, in China. Oh, design. Right, that's design. design. Yeah, let's say they yeah. copy the design and they use something else like Heike. <laughs> you know, that's very <laughs> common. They use like a different variation of the, yeah, of the yeah, trademark. Yeah. Similar. Right? Similar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, well, it's a little complicated, you know. Yeah. Like uh, what you say, Nike. Yeah. Nike is uh, actually it's an English uh, name, right? Mm -hmm. However, if they want to manufacture the shoes in China, still they have to register a Chinese version of this Nike, a Chinese language. Mm. Okay. Yeah, because you know, uh, most, most of the Chinese, they will give whatever the product, a Chinese name. Mm. Nike, that's yeah. the Chinese name. Yeah, mm. and uh, if some like, uh, uh, even they are some very uh, famous brand like uh, may uh, KFC is some, like Kandaji. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something that, you know, something like that. They think, oh, we are like maybe it's a luxury brand, you know, yeah. uh, Chanel or something. Mm. Uh, yeah, as as far as I know, they only register their English name, but they didn't think, oh, it's so important for us to register a Chinese, a, a, a name in Chinese language, you know. Mm. And then some Chinese businessmen register, you know, the Chinese translation. Uh, okay. And then, because people, they will get it confused. They will think, oh, this is this brand. But actually, it has nothing to do with this, you know, uh, luxury brand. Mm. So they have to, uh, as as far as I know, they file lawsuit, but uh, finally they lost the case. Oh, they lost the case, and the only option is you just they just give up this uh, trademark, this uh, this Chinese trademark, or buy it back. Depends, I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the other thing people should remember is that in China. Um, 
it is first to file and it's not first to use, right? Whereas in some other countries, it is first to use. So even if, I mean, if you're been using that trademark um, before, uh, you know, anyone else like who's you doing... are privileged to, yes. to get the name. But, uh, yeah. but I mean, uh, uh, actually the, Ch the Chinese government uh, revised the, the trademark law last okay. year. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if they found that you are using some uh, famous overseas brand, mm -hmm. they will not accept your application. Mm. Yeah, so it's better. But okay. I mean, you cannot count on people to do the job for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think your your brand is important for you, I think the the best thing is to register it as soon as possible. Even you, for the time being, you don't have a plan for this channel market. Or maybe you just think, oh, I, I only manufacture it. But who knows, right? Even manufacturing, you know, it's, it's risky because someone probably will register it and then fight with the customs, stop you to, to export, you know, to export. Yeah. yeah. So you have to make deal with them yeah. eventually. Right. It's terrible. So um, what is the process for filing uh, a trademark um, in China? And does your company help with that? And how much does it cost? Uh, it depends. I mean, if, first, uh, if you want to file with the Chinese customs, mm -hmm. firstly, you have to get uh, your uh, application of the trademark granted. And then you can do that. But... Uh, for the registration of trademark, it's uh, around one year. The government okay. always said, oh, they want to speed it up, but uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but uh, it, once you get the, the uh, get it done, it will be, I think it's uh, three months to file with the customs. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, the fee for us to do the registration is not so expensive. It's something around, around uh, uh, 3,000 IMB for our service fee. Okay, that's uh, how much US dollars approximately? What's the rate uh, nowadays? Maybe less than five, 500? 500, yeah. yeah, about 500 US yeah, dollars. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's the, not at all, that's very reasonable you know, for even small businesses who are starting out with their own brand, it's not a big amount to invest in, you know, for protecting your brand in the future. Yeah, I mean, if, if your business is good, maybe it's later, it's too late for mm. you to do it because somebody maybe registered it already. Yeah. Right, so I think uh, it's it's not a big amount, and uh, and the one thing for the trademark is you can have it uh, forever. It's not like a patent. Patent has has a terms, mm -hmm. like like uh, ten years and twenty years. But the mm -hmm. trademark you can renew it, so you can have it. Uh, I mean, permanent. Okay, 
And what about patents then? Does your company also help with the patent registration? Yeah, we do that. And the, but uh, the patent, uh, it's a little complicated because uh, uh, in according to China law, there are three kinds of patents. Mm -hmm. uh, one is uh, design, another is uh, utility, uh, the third one is invention. Okay. For design and the utility, it's very convenient. And uh, usually you can get it done in like uh, seven or eight months. Mm. But for invention, um, it's uh, on average, it may take uh, two and two half, two and a half years. Okay. And uh, more expensive, yeah. Mm. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, if somebody does have a very unique product or an invention that they have done that they want to, you know, get protected, I think it's definitely worth considering that as well. Um, okay, so is it really worthwhile filing a lawsuit against a supplier or an agent, you know, if they have been cheated? Like how how feasible is it for somebody who's overseas and maybe cannot even travel to China uh, to file a lawsuit? First of all, is it even possible for someone who is based in the US or Australia or somewhere else to file a lawsuit against a supplier in China without actually going there? Uh, yes, they could. Okay. I mean, but the point is still is if you have their real identity. Okay. And the second is if you have enough supportive evidence. Mm. Yeah, they can they can sign a power of attorney in their home country and mm. get it uh, notarized. It's okay. They don't have to be here, and uh, they can win, even they are uh, overseas company. I mean, but the still the point is if they have enough evidence. Mm. And. Yeah. You know, in your experience, have you seen any overseas importers winning cases like this, you know, against suppliers where there have been some dispute and um, or maybe the supplier has, um, you know, cheated the buyer? Have, have you experienced this yourself where the buyer has actually won a case? Oh, uh, yeah, we have uh, some buyers win the case, mm -hmm. but uh, well, it's uh, something like it's something like you have to balance mm -hmm. the cost and whatever you are accounting uh, you are expect right yeah if the amount involved is not so big maybe a better way is to uh, hire us to send a demand a lawyer letter on your behalf mm. yeah and the lawyer letter is just to um, like what 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 does it do? What does the lawyer letter do? Uh, like uh, we will um, firstly we will give a brief description about uh, what happened, and we will uh, state in the letter said uh, uh, according to the Chinese law, what you have done is not correct, and mm. you have to fix it and uh, otherwise we are going to you know like uh, file lawsuit against you but uh, yeah 
uh, if this lawyer letter could uh, work, it depends on like uh, the situation. If this business owner is an honest person, is a reasonable one, and uh, in my experience, one third of the lawyer letter works. Okay. Not so much, but still, you know, it's a cost-effective way. Yeah, yeah. And you said if the amount is not very big, then maybe it's not worth filing a lawsuit. So what specific, um, you know, how do you define big? Like how much should the amount be, in your opinion, approximately, for it to be worth filing a lawsuit? Uh, I mean... For such things, I think actually it's something um, compared, the, the cost compared to whatever you are expect, you know, mm. like, because uh, uh, for, for this kind of case, it's a little complicated for you to prepare the evidence. Mm. If like, if the evidence is, uh, um, uh, give give me a, a give you an example like uh, if it's a quality dispute, you claim the, the 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 quality is terrible, but still you have to uh, produce a, a QC report, right? Mm -hmm. And this QC report, uh, or mean uh, inspection report, is uh, is done by some overseas company in maybe in the destination, destination port. So you have hired someone to do the inspection firstly. And also you have to have this quality report to be certified by the, by the uh, Chinese embassy. That's, okay. mm. yeah, that's some money. So if the, I mean, the amount in dispute is not so big, mm -hmm. I think the best way is to negotiate. Okay. Yeah. So let's say the amount is, you know, um, $50,000. Is it worth, uh, is it still good to negotiate or would you consider at that point filing a lawsuit? Uh, $50,000. Uh, if you know, if the quality is too, is terrible and you cannot accept exact the product at all, and you can produce a quality uh, report in time. I mean, not like uh, after one year later, yeah. then you find the, the, the yeah. problem, right? You have to, you know, have such information uh, and also you have to notify the supply of this information mm -hmm. in a reasonable time. Right. Uh, by reasonable, uh, I mean, we cannot say, oh, it has to be like uh, one week or 10 days because after all, it's uh, international trade. But uh, reasonable, I think, uh, at least you have to noti notify them like uh, in three months, right? Or yeah. two months. Mm. Or after the uh, delivery, I mean, maybe uh, one month after delivery, right? Mm -hmm. You have to you have to notify the supplies firstly, and then you have to have the uh, quality inspection done. And uh, this quality inspection 
mm, for most of the case, it has to be done by a third party, not by yourself, right? Okay. Because it's something, you know, uh, people will think oh, it's, it's more trustable. Mm. Yeah. Right. So you have to consider all these situations. If you have all this evidence, then you can try to file a lawsuit. Mm. Okay. Approximately how much does it cost to file a lawsuit? Of course, it, it varies, you know, a lot and some lawsuits might take a few years, um, you know, to, uh, to, to come to fruition. But approximately what is the, you know, cost range for filing a lawsuit? Well, uh, actually, I mean, if you have a solid case, Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can win the case, the lawyer fee, the court fee, will mm-hmm. be paid by the losing party. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, so so firstly, you have to check if you have a solid case. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you have a strong case. If yeah. you have uh, enough evidence. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you lose, then do you have to pay the lawyer fees for the you winning party? <laughs> no, for the winning no, no, party, no. you don't have to, right? Oh, no, no, no. you don't okay. have to. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least uh, for the moment, you don't have to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so like the lawyer fees and all would be, you know, would you say it's like a few thousand dollars? Like if you specifically talk in US dollars, would you say it's like, you know, less than $5,000 for, let's say, a case that... Uh, where you have a solid case, would it be approximately? I mean, of course, it varies from case to case, but just trying to get like a benchmark figure because sometimes people think that, oh, I can't really file a lawsuit in China because it's going to be so expensive and I have to fly out there and everything. So I just want to give people, you know, a benchmark um, cost of how much approximately it might cost. Of course, it might, you know, go, um, it, it might be a lot more depending on how long the case goes on. But just approximately, how much do you think it would cost? Well, uh, actually, uh, I mean, in China, uh, for most of the case, it's it's uh, for the lawyer fee. It's it's charged based on the the amount in dispute. It's okay. not up to oh. the work uh, the time. You know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you can discuss with your lawyer about uh, about the fee, but I mean, after all, uh, this is an international trade dispute, and uh, for most of the situation, the the lawyer has to be an English speak lawyer, right? Right. So probably it will be a little bit uh, expensive, hmm. but I mean, the the thing is, if you have a strong case the losing party will pay for the lawyer fee mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, but i mean for most uh, the of the business owner sometimes they just think it's you know if i said there is a quality problem i could win the case mm-hmm. it's not right yeah. it's not that simple as they yeah. expected Right, mm-hmm. so I mean, uh, still, it's the same words. I want to, you know, remind the people 
like uh, you really have to do some work, homework, to understand, you know, the the situation here. So when something goes wrong, you know how to deal with it, or at least you know the the right approach to deal with it. Right. So approximately, what is the percentage of the, um, you know, disputed amount that a lawyer would charge, um, you know, to file the case to uh, to fight a case? I mean, is it like around ten percent or so, or um, higher than that? Uh, actually, still it's up to the amount involved. Like, uh, if it's a bigger amount, maybe it's less than ten percent. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if it's small, because mm. uh, uh, sometimes uh, I said uh, we don't, we won't charge according to the time, but still it's charged based on the workload involved, right? Okay. Even if it's a small case, the basic job is, you know, is the same. Right. Maybe big. So, <laughs> yeah, small case, maybe 30%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if the amount is not so big, so some business owner they will think, oh, it's not uh, worth white. Right. Yeah, that makes so sense. It's a case for case by case situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Sophie, you also mentioned um, that you might be able to offer some screening services for people who are, you know, thinking of working with a sourcing agent. So. Can you tell us a little bit more about that service? Like, um, if people do get in touch with you, what kind of uh, services would you be able to offer to vet a sourcing agent that they are planning to work with? Okay. Well, uh, this is uh, actually this is something I think it's very important. Yeah. Maybe important than like uh, a contract or something. Because, you know, if you are dealing with a fraud, you yeah. will lose maybe a whole year's profit, right? Uh, yeah, the screen service we, we are doing is, you know, you have to provide us um, your supplies or your agents uh, copy of business license or maybe just their Chinese name. But uh, you can, can't count on us to give you any information, like uh, just uh, show us their website. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because <laughs> website, I mean, it's a virtual identity. Right. Sometimes a website, people I know, people, and actually when I saw the website, I can smell fraud sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes if the website because, is too good, then maybe yeah, too good <laughs> right. To be true. And yeah. they say, "Oh, we are leading company in this business." And actually, yeah. you can see there is no real photo. It's mm. just a photo copied from, I mean, from internet. Yeah. So I mean, we get experience, so we can smell something. But I mean, mm. uh, whatever. If you need us to do the screen service, you have to provide us uh, some information we can use to do this service for you. Okay. 
That's great. I think, um, you know, a lot of the people in my community, they are Amazon and FBA sellers and they are entrepreneurs, they are smaller buyers. And uh, I think this kind of a service will be useful for them because, you know, many times they can't travel to China to visit the factory or to meet suppliers at a trade show and they are sourcing online. And of course, we also have to add that I think the majority of suppliers are um, are, are there to do business and the majority of companies are not frauds. It's just that there are this small minority, you know, maybe like one or 2% of these people black out sheep. there. Yeah, the black sheep. <laughs> so it's just that you have to protect yourself against these one or 2% of companies and individuals. But, you know, by and large, all companies in China, I've worked with China for, you know, I lived in Shenzhen for 10 years. I've worked with hundreds of factories and uh, I've been in the sourcing industry myself for 20 years. So all suppliers are genuine and they want to do real business with you. But it's just these small number of frauds and uh, unethical individuals and companies that you need to be aware of, really. Yeah, and to tell you the truth, I, I really, you know, I think we need to do something to stop such kind of black sheep behavior because they are ruining the Chinese supplies reputation yeah. as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And oh, one more thing I want to say is about the screen service. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, the buyer said, oh, they provide me a mainland bank account. So they are real. Mm. But actually, sometimes it's not true. Because this uh, mainland bank account actually is for an offshore company. So it's in the end, it's still a Hong Kong company. Oh, so so is there a way to check that if it is a if it is a genuine yeah, bank account I mean, of a mainland company or if it is a you know offshore company bank account in we, mainland yeah, China? we can check. We can okay. Tell. We can. Tell but so you have to provide provide us the information and also uh, sometimes. Uh, but it's common, like I said, you know, some some company or some factory, they will use their Hong Kong company to yeah. receive payment. Mm -hmm. As long as you have a written statement from them, like say, oh, you can pay to this bank account, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as you pay to this account, I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of account it is. As, as long as you get their the written statement it means they receives your payment right right yeah yeah i mean that's another you know fraud that has been happening in china for quite a few years where they where somebody hacks into the supplier's uh, email account and then they send uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. their own bank account details to buyers and say that, oh, we're sorry, uh, our bank account details have changed and please send you know, the money into this bank account. And you know, the email is coming from the actual supplier's email address. Yes, so, so the double check doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. So in that case, like, we have to be aware, like whenever there is a change in bank account details, you have to call the supplier and call check them. with yeah. them. Uh, you know, hey, have you sent me an email saying this? Or maybe just WeChat or something. But don't just reply to that email because 
in some cases the email has been hacked. <laughs> you know that. You know yeah, that. I know yeah. that very well. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. And again, it's so sad because it's just these small number of people, you know, who do these things and then just uh, spoil the name of the of all all suppliers. And the same in India too. I mean, it happens in China. It also happens in India. You know, there are some people who are just out there to scam people it's it's just um yeah very sad but uh, do, do you know the situation in like uh, other country the western country i think uh, it's it's uh, everywhere right yeah i think it's everywhere i mean not only um you know developing countries but i think uh, maybe it, it may be a little bit more in india and china just because we have you know a larger population and it's it, they're more <laughs> developing countries <laughs> So maybe the, the yeah. percentage is uh, about the same, but in terms of the number of such people, they're, you know, they're more. So, yeah, but yeah. you're right. And it happens everywhere. <laughs> yeah, especially for China, because yeah. the, the Chinese language, you know, it's, it's sometimes people, they think, they think, oh, I, I have the company's name, but they don't realize any Chinese identity have to be in Chinese language, not English. Yeah, not in English. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's a very important point. So, Sophie, thank you so much. You shared such a lot of great information. Um, so, how can people reach you? I mean, we will put up your uh, company profile and uh, all of the contact details on the website, uh, on the show notes, uh, also on YouTube, where we will post this video. So, if anyone has any questions, they will definitely reach out to you. Um, but can you tell us your website over here for people who are listening to the podcast? What is uh, the URL of your website and your email address? Okay, uh, actually, uh, people can get all our contact information easily from our website, okay. which is chinalawhelp.com. Okay, chinalawhelp. Yeah. Okay, chinalawhelp.com. Okay, that's easy yeah. to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually we have a WeChat official account and we share a lot of uh, legal information use the WeChat article. Okay, yeah. and it, mostly in English? The articles that uh, you share are in they English? They are all in English. Okay, yeah. so what's your WeChat um, account? Legal tips. Legal tips. Okay, also in the PPT I sent to you. Okay, so I will post that in the show notes. Uh, but for people listening, it's just legal tips. And is it one word? Just one word, legal tips. Yeah, one word. Okay. If they search any uh, WeChat official account, they will find that. Okay, okay, awesome. Great. So Sophie, thank you so much for your time and for sharing such a lot of uh, you know, valuable information to all of our buyers, all of our listeners. Um, and I hope I can meet you soon, uh, most probably in October at uh, Global Sources Summit in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to and hope everything will be fine that time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Sophie. Talk yeah, okay. Take okay. care. You Bye. too. Bye.